Hello and welcome back to the Lars Resort, a podcast, still a podcast with myself, Lars Stevenson, brought to you still by Betson. Uh, we have a very special episode today. It is the first of a little series of episodes because we have our first guest in the resort. And it's not just any guest. I have managed to pin down uh, international man of mystery, Tolkien Carlson. Uh, he's worked as a scout for several you know, significant European football clubs. He has a lot of experience from around the world of European club football, has a huge network, all of this. Uh, but he also does write for ESPN occasionally, and he has recently finished a big project where he ranked the top 39 players under 21 in the world. So it's basically a list of who the best young players in the world are. It's an annual thing. It's always fascinating. And I've had a chat with Tokistian about the list, and crucially, we have gone through the list. So the result is, I mean, for me, this is just a goldmine of football insight from a man who really does know his onions. The chat, the chat also went long. I had a vague notion of doing this as one episode. That clearly couldn't be a thing. So, so I think I pivoted in my mind to making it two episodes. But as the afternoon progressed, it was clear that, that it does, in fact, have to be three episodes. This is, this is a three-parter. It's just a marathon of football chat. And what you get is, is a very experienced, uh, knowledgeable football scout and sort of recruitment operator uh, talking you through the best young players in the world. I mean, really, it is the kind of content that... I mean, I'd be desperate to listen to it myself if I hadn't made it. You know, be the content you want to see in the world, as Gandhi might have said. So through the magic of editing, we're going to hop straight over into part one of the chat right now. Okay, Mr. Tokyo-san uh, Carlson, thank you very much for taking the time. For anyone who doesn't know, you've had uh, scouting positions at Leverkusen Hannover, Zenit St. Petersburg, and you have been the sporting director of Monaco, so that is quite a CV. But of course, beyond that, I've known you for quite a while now, which means I have a pretty good recollection of various sort of conversations that we've had. Now, about players and managers and stuff, and which means I know that you're hardly ever wrong about this stuff. And in fact, whenever I've disagreed with you about something, I've inevitably ended up looking a bit stupid a couple of years down the line. So as much as I am an, an excessively opinionated individual, when it comes to you, I just tend to try to be quiet and listen and try to learn stuff. I've kind of given up on, on uh, being uh, smarter than you about these things. Well, um, <laughs> thank you for the very um, flattering introduction. And um, it's an honor to be here on um, the last resort. The first guest, the first ever guest in the resort. That's exciting. I know. It's, uh, it's a privilege. And I hope I can, uh, you know, justify this very special uh, occasion with, with hopefully some insight as well. I'm, I'm very certain you will. Um, we'll get to the list, which is fascinating in itself, and and kind of makes me happy to read because it's easy to get cynical about football and the various bad things in the industry. But it's also like when you just go through a list of, of all these names of players we can look forward to watching in the sort of coming decade, you you do sort of remember why you're so excited about the sport in the in, in the first place. But can I just ask you about your method? Uh, your method of how do you start basically with every single player under 21 in the world and get that number down to, to, to 39? That seems like a crazy assignment. I, I usually start off with a um, short list of, or long list to be precise of roughly 80, 90. It's mm. it, on occasion that there's been even um, 
hundred plus because this is the fourth time, the fourth year uh, running. I'm um, I'm in charge of this, uh, you know, quite entertaining project. To be honest, I I do enjoy doing it very much. And um, once I've done the first cut, um, I usually end up with a number of sixty. 60 odd and then i start to do some additional uh, research i go into the you know i refresh my knowledge as it were because obviously you can't keep perfect track on such a volume of players um you know continuously so i tend to start you know looking into the finer details particularly with defenders you look at the positioning and you look at the defensive sequences and obviously for attacking players you look at what matters in um, in 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 that department too and um i also use to a certain degree i also look at um, the analytics you know the data uh, side of it um but it's not supposed to be it's it's not to, supposed to be a data driven list because mm. obviously then you could have just thrown the numbers into a mixer and uh, it it come out with like an ai generated list which is mm. i know we live in an um, ai obsessed obsessive uh, time now but uh, so trying to distance it a little bit from that um and applying a bit of um eye test to it as well and then i start to um i start to sound out um a little exclusive uh, panel of, yeah. uh, of experts that I uh, usually, um, you know, I pick their brains and I send send them some drafts of the list. Yeah, and I get some pretty valuable feedback. Yeah, because I was going to ask you about that. Very obviously, you you can't and shouldn't name people, but uh, you, you do you do consult people within the industry, obviously, because having uh, had <clears throat> having had a bit of a career, put it that way, uh, you you have racked up a reasonable phone book. And uh, and and people will will help you with this sort of thing. Yeah, I um I've got five or six people whose opinions I trust and uh, who are you know more than happy to to help out. And it's very useful because sometimes I'm some of my choices might be a little bit you know I might not hit the bullseye with with, with all of them. And uh, so find that find that very hard to believe. But you know, <laughs> it is ultimately some of the guys that I I speak to they're a bit. I, I think particularly this list, I don't find it to be particularly uh, controversial. Mm. It's been, it's been. I think last year's was was more more difficult. Mm. Even when I sent the names out for the hearing among my some former colleagues and some very trusted people whose professional life revolve around you know traveling around the world watching these players live but usually there are some small tweaks maybe one or two have dropped out and others have obviously been been added as an outcome of, of that particular process but um i think this year it was there weren't that many disagreements uh, i'd say Lars. well that kind of brings us up to the next talking point i wanted to just touch on before we crack on with the list which is you had to take it down from like 80, 100 names. I mean, is are there any players that stand out as like you kind of wished you could have gotten them onto the main list, but they just missed out? There, there were a few, um, but that's that's the thing with a list is that if you do top fifty, there's going to be there's going to be five or ten players that you feel belong to that mm. to that group, and if you do a hundred, there will be players even then that are missing out so wherever you however many you um decide to to feature there will always be players and 
And those are the main discussions I see after the list have well, gone yes. live. There are, there are people who will kind of, why is this one not in? Why is that one not in? I mean, but that's that's an impossible game and it, it's a never-ending one. But I think there were, there were a few. I mean, um, and, you know, you have cases like players with huge potential that mm. you might, you, you might want to um, to leave in because they you are, you are pretty certain that they will at some point become world beaters, but they haven't proven enough at senior level to justify an inclusion. Then the question is how much emphasis do you put on potential and how much do you put on current performances? And we've kind of decided to potential is a factor, but it's not the determining factor, Lars. Okay, fair enough. I suppose that's the only way of, of really doing it if you got to rank these guys somehow. But that, that, that's not. Suppose I've, I've spent enough time talking about the list. Now let's crack onto the list. Uh, in thirty ninth, actually, you know what? Sorry to tease everyone, but how how did it end up being thirty nine? That that feels like something you need to explain. Top thirty nine isn't like the most. That's not the number I'd pick <laughs> if I was picking a number. <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's pretty random. The first time we did it, I think that was obviously, yeah, four years ago. It just felt natural. There was a gap there between 39 and 40 where there was a kind of a natural cut. Mm. And yeah, and we just decided to keep it. 39, it's a you know, random cool number, isn't it? So uh, we, yeah, it's, instead of it's, doing 50, it's, it, it would kind of, it wouldn't stand out in the way it does so it, but it's can... eye-catching it's memorable i'll bear that in mind because if we ever do list episodes on the resort i'll pick a goofy number and just you know just to get get some attention but i can just uh i'll just add a couple of things because you asked me about you know uh plays that have missed out i mean you can see there are a few mentions right at the top of the, the actual piece yeah so for example Balogun, who's on, who's been on fire this season for for Ames, was it was hard to keep him out, to be honest, mm. because um, he he's been sensational this season. But I think if you compare, if you look at the technical and tactical aspect, there might still be something to be, you know, something to be decided there. So, and then there are the other like Benjamin Sesko, for example, mm. would have. Maybe like to keep uh, to have had, uh, him in, but um, yeah. it's it's it is tricky to judge uh, to make a proper judgment of players that play in outside of the traditional top leagues. And the uh, same goes for Hendrik that you mentioned earlier. Lars. Yeah, because I just I, I I spend time on the internet, right? Like I know there's a subsection of internet people who will just see, well, he's going to Real Madrid for for like ninety five hundred million pounds. It's a uh, seventy million. And, and yeah, he's going to Real Madrid for 70 million, yet he's not one of the top 39 players. What is this? But that's because, <laughs> as you've said, it's you, you've focused more on players who have actually done things so far than players who have potential, right? Yeah, that that's ultimately what, what we're trying to achieve with it. And um, and I think, the you know, we, we could do a separate list, of course. We could do, you know, top 39 or top 19 mm. biggest potential world stars and then obviously he would feature on that one and Matis mm. Tell for example at Bayern Munich mm. would be another one one of the um, since the list went live I think one of the players that people have uh, been um, quizzing me over is Wilfried Nyonto from Leeds mm. uh, mm-hmm. which which you know as a, as a 
obviously an exciting talent, but he's more of an impact player at the moment. I don't think he's... I mean, if you look through the 39, we're going to run through them now, Lars, and I think the vast majority are practically, you know, the vast majority internationals, and they are... I know Nyonto is as well, but he's comes off the bench even for, even for Leeds. But most of these players are established first-team players. Um, yeah. So, yeah, but the other thing is it, it is subjective as well. And um, I do like to add some of my own flavor and uh, preferences into it. And, uh, you know, you're never going to please everybody. No, you're not. Okay, let, let's crack on then because I think – I think sort of 13, 14 minutes chat about the list before we get onto the list is as much as I am going to get away with before people start getting cross with me. Uh, At number 39, I like this because when you make this sort of list, it must be tempting to just stick all the sort of technically gifted uh, YouTube compilation guys on there. But at 39, you have placed Emmanuel Ugarte, who is not that kind of player at all. (laughs) No, he was... I think he's... um... He's had an exceptional season for sporting, both, um, well, particularly in Europe. I mean, sporting aren't doing um, extremely well this season, but, um, and he didn't get too much of a look in at the World Cup, but still, I think he's, um, it was deserved. And I think he's also, like you mentioned, Lars, I think there's also room for the kind of team players, you know, the grafters in midfield. the hard workers, and um, he mm. certainly fits into that category. So it's often not not that easy to find highly efficient ball winners who also have the technical qualities to contribute to a team that has some kind of advanced possession model. I mean, th- those aren't easy to find. No, and especially in these days where if you play as a number six or defensive midfielder in a, even in a double pivot, you know, the football hipsters have uh, lifted up that word to... Um, to the mainstream now and um yeah then in particular you look for the playmakers i guess those who mm. are able to you know provide line breaking passes and and uh, start the attacks and and so on but i think ugarte can and that's where his game is also developing he's adding a bit of uh, of more creativity and his passing is getting um has improved as well and um, and and like I pointed out in the intro, there I think it's also fascinating that he doesn't come from one of the big, prestigious uh, South American academies. You know, he's he's mm. done it the hard he's done it the hard way and um, gone through you know smaller smaller clubs. And I think that is probably also why his development is kind of a little bit is it, is a bit of a late bloomer, if you can um, if you can use that word for a twenty one year old. Yeah, and I guess you know, national cultural stereotypes. We should always be a bit careful, but you know, an angry Uruguayan midfielder is never a bad thing to have in your football team. I think there's there's always a use for them. Um, cracking on thirty eight, you've put Giovanni Reina here. I think that's probably if we have some American listeners, maybe they would have liked to see him higher up. I mean, I mean, God knows if his parents are listening, we are in big trouble. Uh, but but he is at number thirty eight. Yeah, he's been um, he's been hovering a lot ha- higher last in the last um, few editions. But I think you know if you look at from a dis- different angle, he might be lucky to be to be in because he, he's. I don't think he's had the progression, particularly this year, which people would have might have expected. As, um, you know, he broke through about three or four years ago, 
just turned 17 and I think everyone was expecting him to to be in a you know world star by now but but that's also that's also the um, that's not uncommon for for young players you know the development curves can look completely you know they never look the same and they're not always linear or just going through the roof so hopefully um we might see him higher next season because he, he will qualify I think next year as well but I think based on his season and um his um trend I don't think he I think 38 is probably fair yeah well I, I guess we don't need to spend too much time on him because I think most people who are very interested know what kind of player he is and what kind of challenges he's had in the last year but certainly the talent is there for him to still have a tremendous career obviously and we'll see where he is next year at 38 uh Quadio Corner of Borussia Mönchengladbach some perhaps a player not people are not that familiar with this was um actually one of the um, one of my um experts so to speak that uh, insisted on um, he's got to be in you got you got to keep it you, you got to put him in and um this guy who was speaking up for Conner he's one of the i would say one of the most um well acknowledged chief scouts in european football and um, he's a big fan, and um, I think, um, yeah, I think it makes sense. Just looking at his um, his last year, I think he joined um, Borussia Mönchengladbach a year ago, mm. or might have been a year and a half, but went straight into the team and not just, you know, straight into the midfield and and played as if he as if he'd been uh, brought up in um, in German football. I mean, mm. he, he went. I think he's made a uh, also a gradual impact and I think now he's arguably one of the top defensive midfielders slash eight because he's um he, he also is a good ball carrier and he's, he can he can dribble um as well but obviously he's mostly recognized for his defensive work which is phenomenal yeah so obviously I don't watch Gladbach every week uh, but the only sort of mental picture I have of him is that he covers a lot of ground because when you watch them, you notice him a lot because he's he gets involved in a lot of challenges, uh, and he you know he's all he can he can cover a lot of grasses. Would you since he's someone who's probably lesser known on this group? Is there anyone you would compare him to just to get people an idea? I'm terrible with the with com- comparisons. Because okay, that's my good editor, to know. And, and my editor he keeps saying, "Oh, could you?" I think in the first year we had the, there was a little column for who he looks like and I didn't like it because I'm so detail focused so mm. I, 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 I find it very very hard to compare players because there will be more things that are uh, are different and similar I don't know for you Lars can you find just from the top of your head could you just find two players that you think are very very similar no, I just remember, since you said you don't like it, about 10 <laughs> years ago, about 10 years ago, you asked me just informally to have a look at a player close to where who was playing close to where I was living at the time. And I gave you a slightly sort of informal report on him. And you definitely did ask me to compare him to someone. <laughs> so I had to give you an idea. <laughs> so this is really? now finally come back around the other end because uh, I remember really struggling with that question as well but uh, so uh, a midfielder who covers a lot of uh, covers a lot of ground uh, but is reasonably skillful on the ball and uh, not a playmaker as such as you write but uh, uh, but someone who can do a very good job in this uh, famous double pivot um, 
next up 36 we've put you've we've put you've put harvey elliott at number 36 is that controversial i don't know do you feel, how do you feel about it you i feel good about it mm-hmm. i think he he deserves um he deserves a slot so as to be in the 39 I, I don't think he's been he might not have had the progression that people would have um expected but then again he was out with a very very serious injury for a long time mm-hmm and um, and then Klopp has uh, used him as a more like a number attacking number eight rather than on on the wing, which I think he, he has actually performed pretty well in that position. Um, and he's, I think there are improvements as well. So yeah, I think he's um, he's coming he's coming on, and um, oh, I enjoy watching him as well. And I think he's also a good on maybe under underestimated press pressing player as well. He wins the ball high up the pitch and brings a lot of energy. Because I guess the lazy criticism, and when I say the lazy criticism, I mean it's one that I've made, is that maybe he's not, he doesn't give you quite enough defensively to in that sort of number eight role in, in the 4-3-3 system. Yeah, you could, you could say that. But on the other hand, I think the way they line up, I think he's you know, tasked with the more attacking. I, I, I think you can have, mm. you, you, there, there's a balance there. And I think... If you have a number six behind you and another a number eight who might be a little bit more defensive minded, I think that that can work too. So, yeah, well, and, and the talent is certainly there. And God knows this has not been an easy season to be a Liverpool young a Liverpool midfielder. So he's had to, you know, to deal with some very challenging situations. And in that regard, and good that he's getting game time, I suppose. Number thirty five, Yunus Musa. Uh, of Valencia and the U.S. men's national team, who. Uh, you know, was good at the World Cup and is uh, is a sort of nice, uh, versatile player. Is that fair to say? Maybe too versatile. Yeah, I pointed that. I pointed that out there in the piece as well. That particularly in the previous couple of seasons, he, he was um, utilized a lot all over the pitch, even at fullback. Mm-hmm. I think at times, and um, now he seems to have settled a bit more into a number eight role, which is kind of similar to the one that has been playing for the US and I think that suits him suits him fine he gets more on the ball he, he can use his energy he can use you get more out of his his uh, tremendous work rate as well uh, the only thing um, that might be missing is uh, you know the attacking numbers mm. that that are still a bit on the short side but that might come along too could that also I guess output numbers like that could be I feel like you kind of have to take into account the team they're playing for as well, and it's it's been a mixed period, I guess, in, in Valencia's history. So it's maybe not the simplest team in the world to to put up amazing attacking numbers on uh, right now. If that's not too too harsh, <laughs> no, they've they've been struggling, and um, but obviously, I think as a number eight, if you want to succeed in that role, you need at a certain point you need to, um, you know, that needs to show up in the in the goals and assist column. And I haven't quite looked into how many shots on goal he's got per game. Um, that's an interesting metric to see how much he gets into the box. And um, I mean, we, we're going to get to to kind of similar, um, tactically similar players later in the list, but you mm. can see that there are other players that will excel in that kind of, and product department, but then again, well, he's he's uh, again he's a convert. I think he started off as a winger, 
Um, so it's also learning the trade a little bit, the movement, mm. um, how to time his runs into the box. It's a new entry. Um, I remember a few people calling for him last year when he was, wasn't in the, on the list. But I think he, especially the World Cup performances, I think, uh, did it for me this time. Yeah, for sure. I also really, um, if my opinion counts for anything, my my ears pricked up a little bit watching him play for the US and good sort of all round, uh, covers a lot of ground, good all round technical abilities. Certainly, I mean, if Valencia, I mean, if they end up going down or certainly they're having a terrible time, I think uh, there, there, are, there are a number of clubs who could do a lot worse than pick up him if he ends up having to be be sold from there. The next one I'm interested in, I'm going to try not spend too long on all of these because we'll, we'll be here all week, but... At 34, you put Ryan Sharkey, who's kind of had an interesting trajectory in that he was a sort of mega, mega talent a few years ago, and then it hasn't really happened uh, for him. He hasn't maybe developed in the kind of way that people were hoping and thinking, but you're still very much on the on the Ryan Sharkey train. You believe in him. You believe that his, his time will come. I do agree with your your assessment. Uh, however, I think um, I would have expected made even greater progress. I, I, I thought a year ago, I thought he might have been a late shout for the World Cup squad. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, he didn't make it. He's still with the under-21s. Um, but I think some something has clicked this season. I think he has... Um, I mean, he's, you know, in terms of dribbling, in terms of ball carrying, in terms of um, combination play... He's absolutely, you know, one of one of the top ones and technical ability. And it's fun to watch him as well. You know, he can turn and he's he um, makes a fool out of defenders and he is, you know, he's an artist. Um, I think Laurent Blanc has kind of cracked a little bit uh, of a... He, he's kind of worked out that if he plays him centrally, I think he mitigates the defensive weaknesses because he's obviously mm. not the most um, disciplined in the um, in his uh, or diligent in his defensive work mm. and I think if he plays in a kind of a free role behind the striker I think he he's better protected um, but that's still the part of the game that needs to he, he still needs to work on is the pressing and the kind of the transitional play when they lose the ball to get back into pressing position um and um a bit more maybe um yeah consistency in his game as well he can drift in and out like most kind of mercurial talents they tend to take few some breaks during the game and um so a bit more consistency and uh, but i think he's the last three or four months i think he's you know come on nicely and uh so i'm I'm still, I'm still backing him last. Yeah, and I've, I mean, the numbers, well, the numbers can be misleading, but they don't outright lie. And I've just kind of brought up his stats here. And I had missed that he would have been this, you know, his progressive passes, progressive parry, carries, successful take-ons, this sort of stuff is, is straight to the, to the ceiling here. Like, he's, his output has improved a lot in that regard. And uh, the technical ability has obviously, well, always been clear. So... Someone who at, at twenty, you wouldn't be. Can I put this? You wouldn't be surprised if, if Lyon actually get their act together and have a good next season. You wouldn't be surprised to see him sort of shoot up in his last year of being eligible for this list because, like, the technical quality to get right to the top is there. 
Yeah, absolutely. And um, all right. And uh, there's also, I think, we didn't touch on the finishing skills, but also he's uh, he's a very very good, you know, goal scorer, um, and you know, technically brilliant. Assist. Sometimes he overdoes it a little bit, you know, tries to go for the to beat the extra man instead of laying it off. But it's it's also part of your development and the maturity process. So definitely a fun player to keep an eye out for, and I'm sure you will notice him if you watch uh, Lyon play, and maybe maybe even higher next. Uh, at 33, you've put Brennan Johnson uh, of uh, Nottingham Forest, who's who's kind of, I mean, I think everyone at Forest had struggled a little bit at the beginning of the season. It, became, it was a very sort of harsh um, start to life in the Premier League. Obviously, they had to make a lot of transfers. It was all a bit chaotic. But as the season's gone on, I mean, he's certainly one of the players who've stood out, which is not an easy thing to do uh, in, in those circumstances as a 21-year-old attacking player. No, you're absolutely right. And um, I think, you know, the, the team as a whole, I mean, they signed, what was it, 20, 20 old players in the summer? That was just, that was just the fullbacks. <laughs> <laughs> and I think the you would you know you would want some time to to kind of make them gel and uh, and build a proper team out of it. And um, as the season has um, progressed, I think they they've picked up, and so has Brendan Johnson. And I, I like him very much. You know, he, he gives you energy, more of a transitional player. You know, he picks mm. up those pockets out on the mainly on the right and then once he picks up the ball it's very, very hard to catch him also good finisher and um yeah energy player always gives you something I think also has a good um you know decent mentality on the pitch mm. um and you know after a few months of um adaptation i think he's um yeah he's shown that he's um he's a good premier league player yeah, which again, at his age, uh, for a, a relegation-threatened, newly promoted team, uh, quite an achievement. At 32, I, I this is kind of an interesting one. I guess another player, I feel like we're saying this a lot, and I guess it's true if you're on the list and you have something about you, but I think maybe people were expecting to see, at this stage of his career, see Karim Adeyemi perhaps slightly higher than at 32. At least, Lars, we are getting to the point now in the in the rankings where we that those kind of players are going to drop off now because we are mm. getting closer to the to the business end. But um, yeah, it was a couple of years ago he was brought into the Germany team while he was still at uh, Salzburg, um, had an outstanding goal scoring record there. Um, and then he hasn't quite since the move last summer hasn't quite uh, was it a year ago mm. kind of looked upon as the Holland replacement wasn't it? yeah that that was the idea wasn't it yeah hasn't quite managed to assert himself as people would have expected maybe but again he's um, you know what's exciting about him is that he always gives you he gives you that speed he gives you the mm. the movement um and the finishing qualities. Um, I mentioned the goal against Chelsea there, which I thought was fantastic. You know, where he picks up the ball on the edge of his own penalty area and then just shoots off. And, and there's something with forward who have that kind of speed and can control the ball at that speed, is that even if they're having a bad game, they are a constant problem for the opponent because the defenders have to 
have to acknowledge that he's there and can just run away from everyone. <laughs> and, and that just, it, it actually forces the opponent to, to adjust to an extent, or maybe at least it, it, it is just a, a constant threat. Yeah, I think the combination of um, the, the mass speed, but also the ability to carry the ball at high speeds. I think mm-hmm. that as much as many you know, teams now are kind of possession-based and they like to dominate the play, um, and um, you, you also have to face low blocks and space will be tight. So... Um, but it's mainly in transi- transitions that uh, you know players with that kind of pace come to their come out properly. So, but I, I, I think I probably would have expected him to got a little bit closer to a starting spot for Germany and to just mm. hung on to his um, status as a as a you know a senior international, but it's dropped a bit in and out. But uh, still, I think is. Um, I mean, it's proven that he has this kind of instinctive finishing skills, which are extraordinary. And um, with the pace and the technique and also decent work rate, I think you, he's going to have a fine fine career. And also one of those players who you wouldn't be surprised if he just goes mad and scores like 28 goals for Dortmund <laughs> next season, if something like that happens, because like the, 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 the components are there. And he's not even all the way through his first season at that kind of level either. So, yeah, exciting player for sure. Number 31, Jeremy Pino of Villarreal and Spain. I think he was a bit higher last year. Um, mm-hmm. I haven't got the list handy here, but um, that was his uh, breakthrough season um, last year. And um, he got those Spain caps right at the end of the year. And since then, he's, he's stayed in the in the squad more or less uh, throughout but i still think he's um he hasn't quite given the spark that he did last year mm. um still is an important member and he's um you know you always get decent work rate out of him and he's quite um on one hand he's quite typical spanish player because he's got that brilliant natural ability on the ball and he's mm. um you know excellent off the ball movement but he's also kind of like south american argentinian in the sense that he's got that little bit of aggression about him and that tremendous kick um like dash on the first kind of two or three meters which makes him quite explosive uh which is more of a i think argentinian thing than a spanish thing but um again i think um he's established now he's um he's a proper grown-up top top level footballer Mm -hmm. um number 30 interesting you put rico lewis in there who's obviously come has surprised a lot of people this season by getting game time for manchester city and doing really well yeah, I'm a big fan. I think he's um, he's such a good footballer, and you you you've seen he's played right back, he's played left back. I think mm-hmm. he's played as a more or less number six, or can even play as a number eight. Can play him higher up the pitch, and um, just got such a good close control, nice touch, able to play high intensity combinational football, um, intelligent 
And I think even when City were in a pretty, yeah, pretty had a not the bad run because they haven't had a bad run for ten years now. But mm. even when their form was dipping a little bit, um, I think he stood out as one of their their better players. And usually, when you throw a eighteen year old into the team, you have to kind of you have to legislate for that in terms of you know handing a bit of extra responsibilities to yeah. the players around him. But I think he's just he's just slotted in perfectly, and uh, he looks like he's been playing for them for the senior side for for years. And and you touch on it in the piece. In a sense, it's a huge compliment to to Rico Lewis that Guardiola felt that he could let Trau Cancelo. Uh, go. I mean, I'm sure there was, you know, oh, we've we've all seen the stories there. That was based on the fact that Cancelo wasn't happy. That it's to protect maybe the mood and the vibe of the group more than anything. But you still, it still would have been a difficult decision to make if you hadn't suddenly found a perfectly viable fullback option in in the youth team that you can actually use, and that isn't going to be a big problem for you if you have to use him a, a number of games in the running. Yeah, I think he's. Um... He is so calm and mature as well, and mm. maybe, maybe a little bit. Uh, you could even say a bit too calm because from young players you want to see them sometimes express themselves and make mistakes. And uh, but he seems so composed and uh, reasonable in all his actions. What I also like about him, Lars, is the fact that you know, as as a right back, you also see him making runs behind the the opponent's defensive line, which is. So you kind of can threaten even um, the back, um, yeah. the back four, or whatever. He can he can make those runs in behind, which I think is extremely useful for a fullback. And I just and I think also that system City have played a lot this season, where one of the fullbacks or last season as well with Cancelo, they played like that to an extent, but very specifically having a back four out of possession and then in possession you the fullback comes inside and you create a double pivot kind of. Uh, and just a three-man at the back. You know, he's played that in a couple of games, that right-back roll off off the ball and then holding midfielder on the ball. It takes a lot of tactical intelligence to do that in, like, the Premier League at a high level. And I, I know, obviously, they, they're kind of holistic in their approach at City and they're taught the things in the academy that's the same kind of methodology that the first team does and all this. But still, having an 18-year-old come and do that at in the Premier League is pretty remarkable. It is. It absolutely is. And um, I think the only, like I also point out in the piece, I think the only the only area of improvement at the moment uh, would be the, you know, one of one against one mm. defending, which you could, which which goes for, I would say, almost every fullback in the world. I mean, <laughs> yeah, exactly. because because fullbacks today are two way players, you know, and um, most of them are, you know, renowned for their attacking qualities, and then something's got to give. So, um, so that's the one one part of it, and also adding a little bit of that aggression, which I think um, would would see him become even. Who knows? Could even be an England player, senior yeah. player within the next. Yeah. Now he is the kind of tidy player you can imagine Southgate uh, liking quite a lot, actually. we got to crack on at number 29, uh, Yusufa Mukuku, who is an interesting case, because I guess having 
you know, pretty much broken through at 16 and setting goal scoring records for the Dortmund youth teams and stuff. I mean, I'm tempted to say you would have expected more from him, but then you realize he's 18. So that's a stupid <laughs> sentence to say out loud. And we just kind of have to remember that the talent development isn't linear. And you have a guy who at 18 is is playing for is playing for Dortmund, has scored some goals in the Bundesliga, and has a lot of the tools required to develop into an absolutely elite level center forward. I think maybe the hype, uh, the initial hype, or the media attention, because he, he obviously made his debut just a couple of days after turning 16, I think. Mm, mm. And I think he, sc- he scored even in the Champions League a couple of weeks later. And bearing in mind his goal-scoring record from from the youth, everyone expected, you know, just expected him to... To, to fly uh, right from the start. Um, but like you pointed out, Lars, it hasn't been the case. It's been um, it's been a bit of a start-stop story. But um, And maybe also he's a, a tad hard to tactically know exactly what is his best position. Is it wide, um, wide right so he can cut in on his exceptional left foot? Although he tends to prefer to play centrally, but he's a little bit untidy to be a number nine because his touch mm. isn't isn't great and his hold up game isn't particularly developed yet. So he's been, you know, he's been moved about a little bit, um, and that might not have been to great benefit. But but again, with that, with the potency in his strike and the uh, one against one skills. I think he, he he's inevitably going to be um be a top top forward at some point. I think possibly fun- even a Bundesliga top scorer. Well, it's funny you mentioned the positioning because I I just said he had everything to become an elite level center forward, and I nearly catch caught myself thinking I'm not entirely sure he actually is a center forward, but certainly a a player who will score a lot of goals in some kind of advanced position in the field. And I guess Terzic and the lads at Dortmund will figure out exactly what that is. Next up on the list is, is interesting. Probably a player who a year a year ago we would not have predicted would be on this list or, or not this high on the list. I'm not sure. Uh, Malik Dior, who who went to AC Milan from Schalke, and really anyone who's been at Schalke recently to be on this list is is quite something. <laughs> I think most people are amazed by his, um, you know, not just coming through but um, also to a certain extent taking a leading role mm-hmm. in the back back three his his inclusion um, coincided with a with Pioli going with a back three and he's playing in the middle he's so composed reads the game beautifully um, never rushes never seems to be faced by you know the scale of playing for Milan also during a difficult period. So I think he's um he surprised many. Um he's I mean he he had that fantastic I think he was great in January towards the end of January and February, but then in March is that that there have been a couple of uh setbacks. Uh, I mentioned um Couple of away games that Milan lost to Fiorentina Udinese, and I think he was probably the, you know, he was um, 
didn't cover himself in glory. But that that's also the you know, that's also the perils of playing as a young centre back because there's so much you have so much to learn and um being an expert centre back it requires a lot of experience and uh, reading the game and understanding you know positioning yourself well and obviously your mistakes if you you know they tend to be they tend to come at a very high price whereas if you're a winger or you're a striker you know you can you might hit the corner flag or you can miss chances or or fail in your pressing game or whatever but you can you go again next minute. But as a centre-back, you know, any mistakes that you do are potentially very, very, um, very costly. So <laughs> that, that, that's been, I think, kind of a typical story of a, of a um, developing centre-back. But yeah. he's got everything. I mean, in, in the air, he's unbelievably strong. Mm. And I think I put there that he, he, I think he wins around eighty percent of his challenges in the air, which is mm. sensational. And it's good on the ball. It's long passing, in particular, and he can thread balls through, through lines. And um, you know, at only, only twenty one, he still has the confidence of, of you know, taking a bit of risks with his passing. So I think he's, he's extremely. Um, very well spotted by Milan. Yeah, I, I, I think confidence is a good word because I think his background is kind of interesting in the sense that he sort of made his breakthrough in that 2020-2021 catastrophic Schalke season, like one of the worst uh, Bundesliga seasons ever, where they like, uh, I think they won three games all year. And, and actually, I have it here. They conceded 80, 86 goals in 34 games. It was just a ca- terrible time, like one of the all-time terrible seasons of any top European league side. That's what he was thrown into as a very, very, very young defender. And then he had a year in the Zweite Bundesliga to sort of find his feet. But again, the Zweite Bundesliga. And then and then you go to Milan. Like, that's... Uh, to, to, to go from that and go into Milan and, uh, and, and perform as well as he has done, I, I think is quite something. Yeah, and I don't think anyone expected him to... I think he was signed more or less like a future uh, punt, more than anything. And even if he hadn't you know, featured as a regular this season, I don't think anyone would have wondered why they signed him because obviously, you know, young centre-backs is not just something you throw in willy-nilly. But yeah, he's been um, he's been great, kept Kane quiet in the Champions League. It's just, uh, I think the scouting um, dimension is important to, to um, point out here because um, on back of that debut season, that horror season for Schalke, your mm-hmm. your stats aren't going are not going to no. <laughs> be particularly impressive. Not at all. Uh, and then you play the second second level in Germany, and that might also be a challenge to kind of interpret those numbers and how would that translate into a in, into a better league. So I, I think you need a bit of eye test. Um, scouting yeah to to yeah. see you know to watch him in training and to know what kind of personality is and to have seen him also possibly at youth level i guess milan would have known him from from way back to to understand that you know potentially given a different environment given a different 
team, obviously. <laughs> and the Italians, they know they're also very, very good at um, teaching players how to defend. So, <laughs> so that that worked out beautifully for them. I think they signed him for yeah seven million euros uh, in today's market. That is a that is a bargain, Lash. Yeah, well done to Malik Tiao. Well done to Milan. Uh, number twenty-seven, Jacob Ramsey. Favorite of yours? Well, I just I kind of like seeing a player like him put on the list again. I'm very happy that we don't have technical YouTube favorites all across the board. Have we found room for a guy who's uh, who's plays with a lot of energy, get, gets forward? It's not been the easiest year to be a young player again. I, I think about the collective context a lot. I think it's not been the easiest year to be a, a young midfielder for, for, for Aston Villa. And I think he's done remarkably well, all things considered. Yeah, you you contextualized it well, I think. Um, but even through difficult spells, I think he's been one of their best, one of their top players. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and um, again, he's got that pace on the ball. So when mm. he picks up the ball, he can, you know, he travels past opponents so so quickly. And also his off-the-ball running is really good. Doesn't take unnecessary touches. He's very, very progressive in his play, always looking to to um, to make forward runs. Um, always available. And um, and also he plays with, a, it's fun watching him. He plays with a lot of joy and natural, mm. natural uh, rejoice of, playing football which i enjoy watching well we mentioned it at the top i mean personal preference will always come into this and i do have noticed this about you over the years is that you favor and this is probably because you work for actual clubs you're not like one of these people like me who just say things on the internet like you you favor (laughs) you favor players who actually produce stuff like there's an actual end product to what they do you're not always as impressed by players who just have like nice balance and technical ability and all this sort of stuff. And Jacob Ramsey is one of those players that I think, given the context, you know, his his output is really, really impressive. It is. And just to sum him up, he, you know, we talked about the ball carrying is great. Controls the ball at at high, um, high tempo. He can shoot. He's a calm finisher. He can head the ball well. Scored a few, I think, um, scored scored a few uh, headers. Comes in late into the box, times his runs well. Uh, his mm. runs well. I think he's uh, very, very um, impressive development, and also very consistent as well, which is um, not always very common with young players. Yeah. So next on the list, uh, someone who was, I think, if you're if you're a real sort of nerd about this, you'll have heard the name uh, for a long time. But it's only really this year where we really see what he can do on the pitch because he's now he's made the move to a club where he actually gets to play football, which is exciting. Uh, Xavi Simons. Yeah, again, I'm bearing in mind that the Dutch Eres Divisie is obviously um, very gentle with attacking players. <laughs> you know, all, all teams attack, even when the bottom team play, plays Ajax, they will be coming forward and there, there will be space. So I think attacking players from that particular championship can be a little bit hard to to work out whether they're able to bring that game to to another higher level, if you like. Um, but you see, it's a La Masia product. Um, yeah. You know, so technically gifted, improvisation. You know, natural ability. 
reads the game, plays be between the lines, picks the right spaces. And again, great ball striker. Um, can score from outside the box, good dribbler. Um, extremely creative. And his turns and the way he hangs on to the ball as well, it's very hard to um, dispossess him. Um, and um, yeah, he's, he's just exploded. I think he's a top scorer still in uh, in the Dutch league. From a sometimes wide position, sometimes he plays as a number 10, but he's not the center forward, although he has played like a false nine on occasion. But yeah, very, um, very exciting prospect. And it's, it's, it's good to see him playing consistent football because like yeah. you said we've, we've, we've heard the name he's been a youth star at youth level didn't get the chance in Paris and now he's um, really um, come on this year yeah, there's a bit of lazy presenting by me just then. I think I maybe assumed too much knowledge on the side of all listeners here but he, just to expand Xavi Simons, I remember there just being hype around him since he was basically a small child at La Masia, right? He's always one of those guys. Maybe because of the names, there were there were clips going around, clearly enormously technically gifted. And you were kind of just waiting for him to get first team minutes somewhere, anywhere. And it didn't happen at Barcelona. He moved to PSG, obviously not going to happen there. So he's now made the move of going to PSV in Holland. And obviously not the highest standard and you can make jokes about goals there being a bit like dog years you know they're, they're not worth quite as much as 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 goals everywhere <laughs> else but he is playing senior first team football and showing that there is a ton of talent in this guy uh, number 24 Amadou Onana I'm delighted that you put him so high again listeners will know this I'm perhaps obsessed with this but just the the fact that he's done as well as he has for Everton in a very very difficult season uh, I think is so impressive I I fully agree, and um, again, having spent the hundreds of millions that um, Everton have done over the last three or four or five years, uh, and the return hasn't been great, but they found a real star here. And mm -hmm. okay, a little bit of a throwback uh, defensive midfielder is not particularly creative or not exceptionally good on the ball. But uh, the work he does, I think, is um, you know off the ball, and um, it's just such a physical presence. He's great in the air, he wins um, challenges all over the pitch, protects the back four, always alert, active, and a good ball carrier too. So, not by way of dribbles or um, any kind of high levels of sophistication, but he, he brings it forward and. It's so hard to um, outmuscle him when he when he picks it up, and I think he's um, he's a real star already. Yeah, if if you manage to stand out as a 21 year old central midfielder in a team having the kind of season Everton are having, you you've got something about you. That's fair to say. And uh, he has. I'd, this might not be a, a technical scouting term that you serious men like you would use very often, <laughs> but I like. He's got really long legs, and he's very good at using them to just kind of poke the ball away from the opponent. You know, it, it must be super annoying to play against. And uh, phys physically as well is. Um... Amid all the talk of you know the technical ability and and being you know creative, you also need the you need presence, uh, particularly in the Premier League. And um, 
But I liked your yeah. I liked your terminology there. Long legs. It's uh, yeah. The long and actually, legs. Yeah. Long legged midfielders. Just want to give a little head uh, heads up on that particular note to my um, editor Jonathan, who is um, who is great, and he has. For those who read the piece or are tempted to read the piece, it's still um, it's still on. Um, obviously, it's going to stay on the ESPN website, so you can go and check it out. And Jonathan, he just completely um, flushed away all my fancy analytics uh, hips 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 lingo <laughs> from uh, from my copy <laughs> and made it made it into a nicely wow. uh, you know proper jargon free. Uh, piece i think so um credit to him no, no, not a not a single enganche or register <laughs> inside no i think there's a couple of pivots but uh that's about it uh, i think that's in the mainstream now next player uh, i would like you to tell me a bit about uh because i think uh, you know full disclosure of the top five European leagues. I feel like La Liga is the one I should spend more time watching than I do. So I haven't watched Gabri Vega much, but I do know he's one of the sort of breakout players of this season. Plays for Celta Vigo. He's a central midfielder, uh, 20 years old. Um, yeah, when earlier in the conversation, Elash, we did talk about number eight being, I think it was Jonas uh, Musa. Um and that he might mm. lack the numbers, but this guy is not lacking the numbers. And it, and the funny thing is that he's, while on one hand he's a technically exceptionally gifted player, um, his touch is good. He's, uh, he also plays behind uh, between the lines. He spatially aware. He he can play um, nice sweet combinations. Very intelligent. But it's also got. He brings the food to the table as well, uh, and he brings the and, food and, to the table. So, so, I love it. <laughs> I'm so happy to. Uh, I'm so happy to uh, when you are happy, uh, Lars. So um, he's uh, <laughs> he's got. A... But that's a great phrase. I'm going to start using that about players who actually have an end product. He, um, I think the ability to get into the box. I think is it's extraordinary mm-hmm. and. Um, Without necessarily sacrificing the defensive side, um, and his shooting skills, I think the coordination—he can hit them on, um, you know, from all angles, uh, half volleys, chips. Um, he's, I think, tremendous finisher, and that blend in a number eight. I think um, there's just one player, and we're going to get to him um, in a bit if we ever get. If we ever get mm. to the upper <laughs> echelons there, but uh, so you, you, yeah, yeah, I think I know where you're thinking here. But yeah, wow, and uh, well, I'm just had a quick gander at his numbers here. He's very, very good at going past people for a central midfielder, but gets off a lot of shots, which I guess again, playing for Celta Vigo, that's very impressive. It certainly is, and um, and also bearing in mind that it, it is his first proper season at. Um, Senior level, I think he just played one match, La Liga match, uh, prior to the season, mm. and then to make such an impact, uh, come like a, a flash, I'd say. Um, in in a in a struggling side, I mean, they picked up now after they changed the coach and uh, Carlos Cavallo, I think, came in uh, just before Christmas, and uh, 
since then, Vegas, um, you know, production and uh, importance for the team has also grown. Massively impressive player, and I would be extremely surprised if he, he isn't picked up by one of the top Premier League teams in um, or Paris Saint Germain or whoever's got 50, 60, 70 million. Uh, that's a that's a very depressing thought. Let let him go to somewhere more interesting. Real Madrid. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, come on. Like it would be it would be sad if he went off to sit on the bench at PSG for five years. I mean, that that that's not what we want for this guy. We want him to go play football somewhere. Uh, we should probably say Carlos Cavajal is the. Is the I know these Portuguese men named Carlos. Their last names all sound the same, but uh, Carlos Cavajal. Uh, Formerly of, of uh, yeah various championship clubs. Uh, next, 23rd on the list, um, Alejandro Ganacho uh, of, of, at, from Manchester United, who obviously has caught the eye, someone who is very, very talented. A um, bit, uh, bit rough around the edges still, should we put it politely, but again, the talent is undeniable. Yeah, rough around the edges. Um, I think decision-making is um, an area to improve there. Uh, favors like most skill-based um, attacking players. I think young players uh, they're gonna, you know, brimming with confidence. Uh, I think they're gonna uh, very often opt for the extra dribble <laughs> or or go it alone. And I think that is a tendency in his game. But what an impact player, you know. When when you throw yeah. him on with 30, 20, 30 minutes to go, I think he, he always makes a difference. And he just livens up the team and creates space and adds an air of unpredictability. His dri- dribbling skills are completely off the charts. Um, you know, hits the ball well. Physically, he's, um, you know, he's well-developed. And, yeah, who, what's his ceiling, Lars? Yeah, exactly. Well, that's the thing. He's definitely one of those who could, you know, he could, who could fizzle out. But the ceiling is unbelievably high with this guy, and and he has this thing. Obviously, he, he's he's technical, but he has that quality of you think he's running at full speed, but then he just has a little bit of an extra acceleration past that. If you know what I mean, uh, I, I think it was the goal against Fulham where I almost looked away from the TV because I was sure the chance would be gone. But the, because but then he found a little bit of extra speed and just reached it. And um, just a uh, fascinating, fascinating talent. Um, enormously confident. <laughs> maybe maybe too confident if reports are to be believed. But I mean, that's that's something for Man United to, to work on, I suppose. And Eric Ten Hag seems like a coach who, without being a sort of old-school um, angry alpha male man. He's also someone who sort of quietly does not suffer fools at all, and hopefully can uh, can can help him. And he has people around him who can take some of the edges off without taking the edges off. If you know what I mean. He's in. Uh, he's definitely in good hands. Um, no doubt about that, Lars. Um, and I think you you're spot on there. That um, you know that burst of pace combined with athleticism and unpredictability it's so hard to read for for fullbacks in particular and yeah he can go on the inside he can go on the outside just a little little um change of direction of his body and he's he's passed and uh, you know controls the ball so well at pace 
a very, very exciting player. Uh, number 22, speaking of exciting players, that's, I guess there's an interesting story here. Uh, Ryan Gravenbech uh, of uh, Bayern Munich and uh, the Netherlands, uh, often, often compared to a young Paul Pogba, uh, because he was, of course, represented by the now uh, sadly departed Mino Areola, but also just because of his stature. You know, he's tall, he's got long legs again, uh, it covers a lot of ground, but is more of a technical player than a physical player. And and, and someone who, um, yeah, like Pogba, someone you can misunderstand if you don't watch him closely, because you, you see a tall, strong central midfielder and you make maybe jump to conclusions about what kind of player he is, but he's much more of a technical guy. Um and, and obviously super talented. I, I think we all assumed going to Bayern was the right place for him to be, but he just hasn't had a lot of minutes this year. We'll see if that changed now with um, with um, Tuchel's entry. Um, but mm. I believe one of the main criticisms of uh, Nagelsmann was that he uh, failed to develop the younger players. Um, and I think Possibly mm-hmm. Gravenberg was one of the players that they had in mind when when those words were were uttered by someone at the in the higher echelons of the Bayern uh, hierarchy. Um, sensational player at at Ajax. Maybe he found. Yeah, I mean, Ajax players don't always travel well because they are so ingrained in that system and particular way of playing football. Uh, maybe that's worked against him, and it will take some time for him to express himself in a bit more free uh, tactical environment. But um, mm. and um, I, I would have expected him to be higher up on the list. I think he was somewhere between twelve and sixteen last year. Uh, obviously, a member of that uh, sensational um, Ajax team that did so well in the in the Champions League last year or the year before. Uh, but uh, yeah, he's so talented, Lars. It's uh, you know, it, it, number eight, number six, number ten. You can play any position in in midfield. Probably best as a attacking number eight. But he's so elegant, smooth on the ball, the understanding of the game, um, and like you pointed out, uh, he can um, he can beat the man in midfield um, uh, and strikes the ball particularly well. Uh, from from distance too, and um, so so well schooled and polished, and you know, brilliant to watch. And I thought, I thought he so, would be. I mean, the eighteen million, one eight, not eighty, but eighteen million paid mm. to Ajax from Bayern Munich. I, I thought that might have been one of the bargains of last summer's uh, Mercato, but um, it hasn't quite worked out yet. But let's see now under Tuchel. I've made this slightly mean joke about Ajax coaches in particular about how when they leave the Ajax system, it's it's almost like an animal that's sort of been raised in captivity, you know, where the, the environment is pretty safe, the food is brought to you, things kind of work the way they should, and then you release them into the wild, and they have to fend for themselves. And and, and sometimes you get uh, Eric Ten Hag, and sometimes you get Peter Bosch, you know, it's kind of hard to predict which way that way that, that one's going to go. And and I guess they can be kind of similar with players as well, but I think with, with Garvenbeck, like the quality, he has so such outstanding qualities, and it's hard to judge. You can't really judge him too much because he hasn't been on the pitch. Um, and uh, we'll, we'll see how that goes in the future. 
next up, I, am, I, I had an idea we were going to do this in one, but this is definitely going to be two episodes. Um, so I think this will be the last name in part one before we uh, take a break. But, but you've put Romeo Lavia at, at, at 21. And what an interesting year he has had uh, from the Manchester City Academy being sold to Southampton. And, and, and then if rumors were correct, I mean, Chelsea considered bringing him in, bringing him just buying him in that window. So, so Southampton had the option of just flipping him for a massive profit after he'd played a couple of games. Because you see him play, he has so much going for him. And, and this is obviously being very wise after the fact, but you do look at him and you wonder, did City really need to let him go and spend a ton of money on Calvin Phillips? I mean, maybe they, possibly they could have just just given him some game time. I don't want to be too harsh on City because they have been giving minutes to Rico Lewis and it's, they're not the worst at, at playing youngsters. But Romeo Lavia, so, so impressive for Southampton this season. I guess City did... Um cover themselves to a certain extent by inserting this reported um, 40 million buyback clause, um, mm. which you're starting to wonder whether that would actually be a bit of a bargain. Yeah, but, probably. Um, yeah, I don't think anyone expected him to. Well, one thing is, um, you know, one thing is that he's got playing time, and but he's... Mm. From word go, he was thrown into the team um, at the deep end in a struggling young Southampton side, and he stood out. I think he's very close to man of the match every game for Southampton. And he's um, tactically plays like a 28-year-old, I think. And um, yeah, so mature, totally. he um, reads the game well. I think that comes through in his um, ball uh, recovery and uh, interceptions. I think he's, he scores uh, very, very high. And um, he's 19 last. It's, um, yeah. yeah, and also it's being crazy. able to assert yourself in a, in a struggling side, in a young team, and with yeah. a defense behind you, which is not always particularly settled or, um, you know, they've been struggling defensively, haven't they, Southampton? But he, he seems to be um, yeah. kind of a ever-present source of quality in that midfield. Yeah. I'm, I'm repeating myself a bit here, but again, standing out in a troubled Southampton team in central midfield at that age is quite something. And, uh, you know, Southampton last summer, they went really young. They spent quite a lot of money by their standards on, on uh, a cluster of really young players instead of buying more experienced players who could perhaps, you know, secure uh, secure their place in the table a little bit. I thought that was a bold thing to do. Sadly, does look very likely that the, that risk isn't going to pay off short term and that they'll get relegated. But they do have a, a group of players in that squad who I think if we have this conversation four or five years from now, I suspect some of them are going to have tremendous careers. And Romeo Lavia certainly one of those. I think we're going to take a break here and and let this be the end of part one because as is often the case when we chat, it's, it has gone on a bit. And we're getting towards the business end of this list. And... Uh, well, there's more exciting, exciting names to come. Um, check out the next episode of this pod for those. Okay, that was part one. Hope you enjoyed that. I enjoyed recording it. I enjoyed editing it. And, and what I remember is that, I mean, it only hots up because as we get towards the sharp end of the list, there's even more to be said and to discuss about the various players. So do look out for the next two episodes when they drop on 
this feed. Lastly, I'm hoping these episodes will kind of stand on their own for for a while. Maybe people can discover them over the next few months. Maybe you can tell a friend. You know, if you support one of the bigger Premier League clubs, your club will probably be linked to a few names on this list. If if you or your friends want to know more about them, check out these pods. So, So with all that in mind, I'm not sure it really makes sense to do our usual betting segment because that'll be out of date in a couple of days at most. So instead, I would like to again mention our our supporters at BetsOn because I think this is pretty unique content that we're making this week uh, that they enable me to make by basically giving me a free hand to just go out and do stuff I think will be cool. So not all sponsors will do that, I can tell you. So thanks again and as always to BetsOn. You know, the way betting and licensing works means maybe bets on are available in your country. Maybe they're not. Uh, if you are in one of the territories where bets on operate, then do check them out. See what kind of sign-up bonuses maybe are available to you if you want to if you want to try and dip your feet into it. But as we've said on the pod before, of course, always gamble responsibly. It is something that's meant to enhance our enjoyment of the game. It does for me certainly, and uh, it should only ever be that. It's very important to bear in mind. Anyway, that's enough for now. That was part one. There's two more on the way. Thanks for the company so far, everyone. Have a tremendous week.